Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for the warm welcome. So good to see you all here today. As he said, my name's Les Harvey. I pastor Church of the Pines in Tyler, and I'll tell you a little bit more about myself in, in just a little bit, but just want to take a minute and honor the house and everything that everybody's put into making today and every Sunday. So awesome. Love the worship this morning. So great. Can we celebrate the worship team and everything that they do? Week in and week out, and then so thankful for Pastor Nathan and Allie. Uh, they're just incredible people, and every time he and I have spent time together, he just kind of gushes over, and it just spills out of him how much he loves you and how much he loves this church uh, and how much he loves the city, and they just have a heart that burns to see everybody introduced to Jesus and finding freedom, discovering that purpose, and getting in a position to make a difference. They just, that, that's his heartbeat, and I know everything that they do lives and breathes to that end, and they love you so much, and I just want to let you know how much they love you, and it's just a real privilege and an honor for me to be able to stand here today and, and share God's Word with you, and I'd love to just jump into the Word first before we talk about, before I introduce myself or go any further into it. I want to share with you just a passage that was on my heart out of Ephesians chapter 3. Um, this doesn't really have anything to do with the message. I just think it's such a great foundation for where we want to go, uh, and, and Ephesians 3 has a prayer in it. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible talks a lot about prayer, but doesn't necessarily have a lot of prayers in it. So anytime you find a prayer that somebody in the Bible prays, you kind of want to latch onto that and hold on to it. And in Ephesians, we actually have two. And most of the, the epistles, we call them epistles, they're letters that the church planners wrote to the churches that they planted, like Paul did. So this would be like, you know, if... if Pastor Nathan went away for a long time, and, and he wanted to communicate with you. He would send you an email, or he would make you a video, and that's kind of what Paul did here. He wrote this letter back to this church that he founded in Ephesus, just checking up on them and encouraging them. And most of the time in these letters, you'll notice a pattern that in the first chapter, there's a, they introduce themselves, and then they pray a prayer. And if you've ever opened a day spring greeting card or birthday card, there's all these prayers like, the, like I've not ceased to pray for you. Like, those come out of these places in the scripture. And that's what this is, except this one isn't in the first chapter. It's in the third to Ephesians. They must have really needed the prayer because Paul prayed for them twice in the book. Let's get to it. Uh, he prays this prayer for them. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in earth, on heaven and on earth derives its name. Then I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. Everybody say power. Through his spirit in your inner being, so that, so, so there's this qualifier, there's this, anytime you see so that, I've got that circled in my, in my Bible right here. So he's talking about this, and there's a reason that he has given you this power, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, that you may have power. Everybody say power. Power, power. power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Doesn't that sound great? Like it lands on our ears so beautifully. And it's one of those things that he prays that we would understand some things, but he also recognizes that you can understand it, but doesn't mean that you're going to experience it. And I was reading this prayer a little while back, and the Lord just spoke to me, and I want to share this with you today, that you may well understand this intellectually, but you can only live it supernaturally. 
He talks about things like how we would uh, to understand the love that surpasses knowledge. There's things that go beyond knowledge. There's things that go beyond understanding. And it requires His power in our life for us to do the things that He has called us to do. And I love your mission statement here as a church. The vision statement is on your Facebook page. If you don't know it, I'll share it with you. It says that our church has a heart for connecting people to their purpose, bringing unity to the body of Christ, and promote the purposes of God's kingdom in the city. I've been stirred up a lot lately about the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, I did a, like a four-part series at our church on the kingdom. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's my age. I don't know if it's my season of life. But I'm just thinking more and more about the kingdom of God and, and Jesus coming back and and, and I don't know when that is. People will ask me as a pastor. I think they think I have some magical answer to, are we in the end times? And my answer is, I don't know. But I know that we are closer today than we were yesterday. Like we're closer now than we ever have been. And my encouragement is, get ready. Get ready, get ready, get ready, because he is coming back. And there's this tension that exists in the Bible. I just want to share this kind of a theological thought with you. If you really want to understand the, the Jesus' parables, Jesus' teaching, if you really want to grasp the New Testament, then you've got to grasp this concept of the kingdom of God. Nothing, nothing really makes sense if we don't understand the kingdom, and specifically this tension that exists between the kingdom that is, that, that Jesus came and established God's kingdom on the earth, and, and there's a very real supernatural presence that we're living out until Jesus comes back, but we recognize that there is a day that he is coming back. So we've received part, and we can know in part, and I'm not here to limit what part we can know. I, I think, can I share you my, my untheologically founded idea that God is an infinite God? What is part of infinity? Like, I'm, I'm not a math guy, but I got this one down. What is one millionth of a percent of infinity? Anybody? It's infinity. Like, infinity cannot be times against itself. And, and my thought is that, yeah, we can only know in part and we can only experience in part, but what is the limitation to, what is the limitation to a part of an infinite God? I don't have the answer to that either. I just want you to open up your heart and your mind that there's more going on than we can understand with our minds. We've got to open up our heart to the kingdom of God and we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Recognizing that there is a kingdom, an eternal kingdom that is backing an earthly kingdom right now. And we're, we're calling this tension of both. And if we're going to understand Jesus and the parables and what he's trying to communicate, we've got to understand that we are part of a kingdom. And your pastor and your church are kingdom-minded people. And we want to see the kingdom of God established right here in Athens and, and Tyler and all of East Texas. I've got a heart for all of East Texas. And so today I just want to share some thoughts on how do we live as kingdom citizens. How do we live as kingdom citizens while we wait for that eternal kingdom that is to come. Let's pray and then I'll introduce myself and, and we'll get into the message. Lord, we love you so much. We're so honored to gather together today as your sons and daughters and what a privilege it is to be considered worthy of your kingdom today. Lord, help us to, to communicate what it is that you've placed, uh, placed me here to communicate today and Lord, speak to the people that are here today the things that you have placed them and ordained them to hear today. And as we get ready to dive a little deeper into this message, we're going to pray this prayer. Why don't you pray this out loud after me? Say, Dear Lord, 
Those things I don't know, teach me. Those things that I haven't seen, show me. And those things that you have prepared for me, prepare me in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I've been praying that prayer for 20 years now. My wife and I, we met back in 2000, and we knew right away. We left the world behind. We were not serving God, and God just arrested our hearts 20 years ago, and we just began to serve him, committed our lives to Christ, and not only to the Lord, but to ministry. And she and I, side by side for the last 20 years, have just been going hard after God, which led us to event, uh, ultimately to Tyler to plant our church two and a half years ago. But we were introduced uh, really to God's call for our life in a small group, a lot like your Thrive groups that you have. And we walked into that small group, and they were reading a book that day called Following God's Plan for Your Life. And I opened that book, and, and that prayer that I prayed with you just now was in that book. Uh, it was kind of in a little bit of a New King James speak, if you will, and I modified it so it could be repeatable. But, but I read that, we read that book, and for the first time at 25 years old, which means I'm 45, at, at 25 years old, for the first time I heard, God loves you, and he has a plan for your life. And I grew up in church, probably like a lot of you. I'm, I'm originally from Jacksonville, right? I, I, I grew up in East Texas. And it probably wasn't the first time that anybody told me that, but it was the first time that I heard it. And we just went all in and never looked back. Served in that same local church with the pastor who had that small group. Served there faithfully for 15 years. My wife and I celebrate our 19th wedding anniversary next year, next month. I'm sorry, next month. Yep. And then... Yeah, if you knew me, you would, you would know what a major accomplishment that is. <laughs> She's patient. And, uh, and then, so that means next year we got the big 20 coming up. So if you got any ideas or thoughts on what we could do for 20, I'm, I'm wide open because I can't mess this one up. We got to make it big. Uh, we have a daughter. She's 12. She's in seventh grade, and she is so incredible. And both my women, they just both love God, love the church, and would love to be here with you guys today if they weren't so all in in our two-and-a-half-year-old church plant in Tyler. But they send their love, and hopefully one day they'll be able to come be a part of this with me. So we've been going hard after God, and we served in that church for 15 years, and then God began to stir something up uh, in us about a church plant and a next step. So we moved to Birmingham, Alabama for a couple of years to get ready to plant the church, and in 2017, we got to Tyler. So I've lived in East Texas, I lived in Jackson, Mississippi for a long time, and I lived in Birmingham for a couple of years. A couple more things about me, just so we can find some common ground here, because I know probably some of you, we have some things in common. One is, I am a hopeless Dallas Cowboys fan. Anybody? Uh, hopeless, right? You get it? You, you get it? Even if you don't like them, you get the hopeless part, yes. It's tough, and I even hate Monday night even worse. I hate waiting all day Sunday and all day Monday for what is ultimately a letdown. I don't know what their record is on Monday night, but it ain't good. I mean, it just always seems to be just a big old wind-up for a letdown on Mondays. Um, I love the Cowboys and um, lived in Mississippi for a long time. Something you need to know about Mississippi, I don't know if you've ever been there before, but, man, you can, you can cruise along in Texas. I don't we have the best roads in the world. Some people are kind of iffy, but, I mean, if you get around, we got some great roads. I, I was in outside sales for a long time. I was never, my full, first step into full-time ministry was planting the church. So what, we, we served faithfully by, by vocationally, and I always worked an outside sales job. So I've logged a lot of miles 
over the years. And Texas has got some great roads. And you can go across Louisiana, and it's kind of iffy and bumpy. I don't know what happens, but you cross that Mississippi River Bridge, two things are going to happen. The road's going to completely fall apart as you're driving 60 miles an hour behind somebody driving in the left lane. I mean, it's just like automatic. Mississippi, the road stinks, and somebody's driving in the left lane. It happens just like that. And I'm a little bit of a, I mean, I drive, right? I'm a little bit of a, I'm not an aggressive driver, but I'm not a patient driver. And, and sometimes you just get in those situations where you just want to beep, beep, hey, it's time, time to go. But I am, I do follow the rules. I'm a rule follower. You know that about me. Mississippi does some weird things in their roads, too, in road construction. That, Texas just does it so great. In Mississippi, they've got this dump truck that they just poured this slag out. I got Jeff, my friend Jeff here today is in the, in the foundation business. Yeah, slag, rock, like muck mixture. That's what they use to fix the roads over there. And here's how they do it. They, they have, you're going down the interstate, 70 miles an hour. You're going down the interstate, and there's a dump truck on the side of the road with three lighted arrows telling you to move over. And then about 200 yards ahead of that, there's another one halfway into the lane and the shoulder with another arrow. You better get over. And then 200 yards in front of that, there is a dump truck in your lane. And if you're not moved over, you're going to smack into it. I mean, that does not even make sense, people. And I've seen some pretty nasty accidents happen with that, too. Let me tell you what's supposed to happen. Okay? What's supposed to happen is, is that they put a nice little orange sign out inside the road that says, two miles, lane closed, begin to merge. Right? Then you get another one at about a mile. Lanes closed, merge. And you got about another half a mile, and they're giving you like three or four warnings over the process of a couple of miles that you, your lane's going to end and you need to merge. And so what's supposed to happen is is that by the time you get to that spot, everybody should be merged so that we all can just kind of keep on driving real smooth and not experience too much delay. So I identified that I'm Cowboys fans with some of you. I, I know something else I got in common with at least half the room because you guys, every one of you, I look each one of you in the eye, each one of you fall into one of two categories, okay? You either, when you see that sign at two miles, you heed the instruction of the sign, and you begin to, I'm going to give you the word again, merge. You begin to merge, right? You begin to move over to that lane so that con traffic continues to flow smoothly, all right? You're the holy people. You're the righteous people in the room. Because there's this other half of you in this room, and you know who you are, that you say, oh, two miles? That means I need to get my foot on the pedal and get up to the front, and they'll let me in when I get up there. Right, so I know we got we got both groups in the room, and I, sometimes I can I can fall in just depending on the day. If I'm honest, I can fall into one or the others of those. I was in on I-20 headed back to Alabama one time, and I and I was I, I did the right thing that day. I did the righteous thing that day. I got in the lane and just went ahead and just got in line. You know, just it's moving slow already because people are just zip 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 right upside. You know, going. And what, what do you do? It doesn't matter. If you're, if you're flying up there, you know what everybody else is thinking about you, and you don't care. <laughs> or if you're sitting in that line, you're sitting in that lane moving slow, you can just feel, I don't know if I do it, and this is that particular day, the longer I sit there, the, the, the more my rear begins to climb up over my shoulders, if you know what I mean. I mean, I'm just kind of beginning to tense up and hunker up. You get a little closer to that steering wheel, and you begin to get this. If you're up there when I get up there, you ain't getting in. I ain't, I ain't letting you in. You, you should have got in back there, right? Because if I get up there and you're there, I'm taking, I'm taking control of this situation. I'm going to change this situation. 
And sometimes some of you are even truck drivers. Truck, truck drivers can like really take charge of the situation. If they get tired of what's going on, they just pull that big rig in, the, in that lane and they're just like, deal with it. You know, y'all can just get in line. But when we get in those situations, what, what happened to me that day, I'm sitting in line doing what I'm supposed to be doing, doing the right thing, and, and people are coming up, and I'm starting to get to the front, and there's these two or three cars that are waiting to get in, and I'm like, man, I ain't letting them in. You should have got them back there. I ain't letting you in. You should have thought about that, but I ain't, I ain't doing it. And, and right then, the Lord just, he touched my heart. And I don't mean I heard an audible voice, but I mean just uh, it, deep inside, I just, I just heard him say, what? does it matter to you? What does it matter to you if they waited to the last minute to get in this space? Do you think that you being all tied up and bound up right here in this moment is, is worth it? Do you think that this is affecting them one bit? No. And because I'm in this moment thinking that it's my responsibility to take charge and change the situation, and I'm even praying, hey, Lord, take, take, change them. Change the situation. Hey, teach, Lord, won't you teach these people how to drive in traffic? You need to, you need to change some things. And, and here we're taking charge trying to change the situation. And sometimes that can be our tendency in life, that we're praying and asking God to change the situation. But I'm convinced that more times than not, just like I was in sitting in that car, he's not nearly as interested in changing the situation as he is in changing you. Before he changes the situation, I, I'm convinced before he changes the situation, he wants to change you. Because maybe, just maybe, it's through you that he wants to change the situation. But we've got to do it his way. And when it comes to this kingdom living and when it comes to living in the kingdom of God and with this idea of the kingdom that is and it is to come, we got to know this, that God wants to change the world through a changed you. That's why he called you. That's why Jesus died for you, so that you could experience life change and change the world. I got In our church culture and our, our church governance, we have what we call apostolic overseers. They're, they're the people that really I'm accountable to. They, they check on me. They know the state of my soul. And that's who my church can call on in times of trouble. A lot of those guys are from southern Louisiana. I'm not, but I have been to New Orleans a couple of times over the years. And those guys, they like to tell these stories about this guy named Boudreaux. I don't know if you've ever heard any stories about this guy named Boudreaux, but they tell him, they tell him really good. Uh, I, I'm going to tell you a little story about Boudreaux to illustrate what I'm talking about. Uh, Boudreaux is just a simple old guy, worked kind of in a construction job. And uh, he got to the end of the week, and he had worked real hard. And the, the boss man came to Boudreaux, and normally Boudreaux got some cash. This day, the boss man shows up, and he hands Boudreaux this uh, piece of paper like a rectangle. Boss man says, good job this week, Boudreaux. Here's your pay. Boudreaux takes that. He says, what's this? He said, that's a check. Boudreaux said, well, what did it do? He said, well, you take that check down to the bank, and the bank man will give you your money. He says, okay, I, I can do that. So he takes that check, goes down to the bank, goes to the teller, slaps that bank check on the counter. He says, give me my money. Bank teller said, Boudreaux, I'd be glad to do that, but first you got to endorse that check. Boudreaux said, what that mean? He says, it means you got to sign it. Boudreaux said, uh-uh. He said, I, I ain't going for that. I ain't signing nothing. He said, well, then I'm sorry, Boudreaux. I can't give you your money. He said, well, I can do something about that. So he just grabbed that check, walked across the street to the other bank, 
walks in there to the bank teller, smacks that check on the counter. He said, give me my money. Bank teller says, Boudreaux, I'll be glad to give you your money, but I'm going to need you to endorse that check. He said, I know what that is. I ain't signing nothing. He said, he said Boudreaux, you got to sign it. He said, I ain't signing it. So the teller reached across the counter, grabbed Boudreaux by the shirt, slapped him across the face real hard. He said, Boudreaux, sign that check. Boudreaux said, okay, okay, I'll, I'll sign it. So he signs that check. Bank man gives him his money. He's just so pleased and proud. Takes that cash, walks right across the street to that other bank, sticks his head in the door, says, I got my money. Bank teller said, well, Boudreaux, what'd you do? He said, I signed the check. He said, Boudreaux, that's what I told you to do. He said, yeah. He said, but you didn't explain it to me like he did. <laughs> Good old Cajun Boudreaux. But how many of us can be kind of like that in our life? That, that we keep going to the bank and expecting the bank to do business the way that we want them to do business. That, that we want the bank man to, to conduct his bank like we think it ought to be run. And if they don't do it like we want them to do it, we don't, we, don't, we don't fix ourselves and we don't get in line with that. We just leave and we're going to go somewhere else. We're going to go to another bank. How many of us is it like that with church? And if you're here today for the first time, we are so glad you are here. Aren't we church? Come on. We're so glad you're here. And probably many of us have been guilty of this, but how many of you go on church to church? And they just... They don't sing the song I like to sing. They don't sing it like I like to sing. The pastor didn't call me when I felt like he ought to call me. They, they didn't, nobody rallied around me when I went to the hospital. And I'm, I'm going to go find somewhere else. We don't want to change. Can I tell you too here at a church like this, that's why you got to be in a Thrive group. That's your family. That's your people. If you want to be cared for, I, I told you in the beginning, Pastor Nathan loves you guys. I mean, it's all he talks about, but he can't be everywhere at the same time. But we got great small group leaders and thrive group leaders who you can get in and do life with, and that's where you're going to find your people. Some of us, we've been married. I'm not saying us. Some, some, some people have been married, and you've gone from marriage to marriage or relationship to relationship, and everything's great until it comes time for you to have to give up something or for you to have to change something. And when it gets too hard, you bail. You leave. Schools to school. That school just didn't do me right. I'm going to go find a school. Job to job. They didn't pay me right. They didn't give me that 3% uh, cost of living raise. So now I'm going to quit y'all and I'm going to go find a job that pays me 3% less than I was making over there just to show y'all, y'all should have done me right. Or how many of us, is, is it like we got, jump from sin to sin? Now I'm just meddling here for just a minute and I love you. I'm a pastor too. But we, we, we get into something, we, we find this sin, and it feels good for a minute. How, have you, how many of you know? Sin feels good for a minute. Wrong feels good for a minute. It fills a void for a minute, but it doesn't complete you. And when that one loses traction and it doesn't fulfill me anymore, I move to the next one, to the next one, to the next one. And we end up somewhere down the line where we've been everywhere, seen everything, and done everything. And it's hard to get on track after that because we're simply not willing to change. Now, you compound that with trying to live according to a set of kingdom values and principles for a kingdom that we can't see, for something that is, we, we've got a little bit of it here in this word, and thankfully we've got people around us, but yet we know something's coming, and we can't see it yet, and we're in this tension of, how do I live? How do I walk it out? How do I stay straight? How do I stay true? We've got to be willing to change. We got to be willing 
to change. The Apostle Paul knew, to, knew a ton about change. He planted a lot of churches. We already read that out of Ephesians. And he planted several churches, and one of which was a church in the city of Corinth. Corinth was a major uh, passageway and throughway. It, it, it was actually on an isthmus. Say that three times really fast. Isthmus, isthmus, isthmus. Isthmus is a, is a piece of land that sticks out from a major body that, can, that joins two seas, and then there's a little bit of water going through the... Anyway, you can Google that later. But that's what an isthmus is, and it was that. So, so people were coming north and south on land, and they are going east and west through the seas. And Corinth was in that spot. So naturally, a city like that in that time attracts all kinds of people from all over the place. And that's why he planted that city there. But because there were so many people and because there were so many different cultures coming in and, and going out, it was a, a notoriously wicked city. They actually had a saying back in the day that they would say, you, if you had been morally corrupted, then they would have said that you had been Corinthianized. Like that's what's going on in the city of Corinth. And it's no wonder, because of all that, that the Corinth church is the one that Paul had the most trouble with. He, he had so much trouble with him, he had to write two letters. We have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And if you pay attention in 1 Corinthians, he talks about a letter that he had written to them before that. So he wrote them really three letters. A lot, lot to deal with in that Corinthian church, in that primitive church. And one of the things that he was dealing with was that they had all received Jesus, but they all got puffed up in their mind, and they all got puffed up in their pride, and they began to say, hey, I'm following this guy, I'm following that guy, I'm following Paul, you know, it's like, like we do, I'm following Pastor Nathan, but I really watch a TV evangelist during the week, that's, you know, where, where I really get something from, and, you know, I follow this guy, and some people say, I don't follow any man, I just follow Jesus, which sounds real spiritual, but that's why Jesus gave us a ministry gifts of pastors, prophets, evangelists, and teachers. If, if we didn't need those, Jesus wouldn't have got, given us those. So everybody needs a pastor. And they were kind of, this was going on. And they would give Paul a hard time too because Paul would talk real strong in his letters, but then they accused him of not talking real strong when he showed up. You know, Teddy Roosevelt, uh, the president, had a saying that he had adopted from an African proverb that says, walk softly and carry a big stick. Well, Paul, they were accusing him of talking real strong, but then walking real light and carrying a little stick. And I, he had had enough of that. So he's kind of giving it to him in 1 Corinthians in this first letter. And he's telling him, hey, I'm going to come see you guys real soon. And I'm, a, I'm, I'm talking strong now, but when I get up there, we're going to have a real talk. And what we have in 1 Corinthians 4.20, he says, hey, because the kingdom of God is not a lot of talk, but of power. He's like, y'all got a lot to say, but you don't have a lot to show for it. And when I come to see you, we're going to cut the talking, and we're going to see who's got the power. Because Paul's been going around doing miracles, raising the dead, like all kinds of signs and wonders have been following Paul. And he was going to get there, and he said, hey, the time for talking is going to be through, and we're going to see who has the power. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The kingdom of God is dynamic. The kingdom of God is a difference maker. And it differentiates those. There should be a difference for those who are in it and those who are not in it. And I think what Paul is trying to tell them here is, you're talking like a bunch of people who have never experienced anything. Like you're talking to me like a lot of bunch of people who have never changed. And I'm going to come and we're going to see because God wants to demonstrate himself through change. And I submit to you today that the greatest demonstration of God's power is a changed life. 
In Ephesians, Paul says that when God raised Jesus from the dead, he did it with his mighty arm, with his outstretched arm, some translations say. And if you're ever reading in the Bible and you see it talking about God's mighty arm or his outstretched arm, he is in that moment communicating the strongest, uh, highest degree of God's power that there is. And when God raised Jesus from the dead, he didn't just raise one man's body from the dead. He raised to life all the sin, past, present, and future in that moment. And according to the Bible, it took everything he had to do that. And the Bible goes on to say that the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And that's when Ephesians 3, he said, I pray that you would have power to understand That's the power that you have to comprehend and to understand, but not just so that you can have it and understand and come to church on Sundays, but that you can live it and you can live a changed life. He he raised Jesus from the dead and it changed everything and he did it so he could change you. He raised Jesus from the dead so that you could be raised to life as well and live a changed life. And that's why I say that the greatest demonstration of God's power is a changed life. When you look throughout the Bible, every story and every major Bible character that, you, character that you see, before they launched into what it was that God had planned for them, they experienced and accepted a change. Some of them didn't accept it at first, so they had a longer period that they had to walk through of change, but they did change or, th- or they perished. Abraham a father of our faith, God called him, moved him out of his father's land and his father's home, and called him into a great promise, and he is the father of our faith today. But God had to bring him out, and he changed his name from Abram to Abraham before he could do what God called him to do. Moses, before Moses stepped in and led Israel out of captivity and into the promised land, Moses didn't just have one wilderness period. Moses had two wilderness periods. Moses messed up, went to the wilderness, came back, led Israel out, messed up, and had a wilderness period again. And then he still did not experience the promised land and get to step into what God really wanted him to do. Think about this for a second. Jesus was 30 years old when he stepped into his ministry. I don't know if you know that or not. But Jesus was 30 years old, and he went to the Jordan River, and he was baptized by John the Baptist And then I think it's John that tells us immediately the Spirit whisked him away from that baptism experience into the wilderness for him to be tempted by the devil and fast for 40 days. You don't think Jesus was changed in 40 days of fasting, being tempted by the devil? There was something that took place and something God wanted to do in him before he launched him into his ministry. When, Paul, when God called Paul, Paul was opposed to Jesus, and that made him opposed to God. And when God called Paul, he shined, Jesus showed up and shined a big light, knocked him off his horse. He went blind and he went to the city and sat blind and fasted for three days. Something in him had to change before God launched him into his ministry. Even Peter, the apostle Peter, walked with Jesus side by side for three years. And still when it came time for him to go do what Jesus had set them out to do after Jesus left, he had to have an upper room Pentecost experience. And then even beyond that, before he really, really got into what God wanted to do, and that's to take the the message of the gospel to the unknown parts of the world at the time, he had to have another vision from God to go do that. He had to be changed. And if these guys had to be changed, we got to be changed 
you got to be changed. God used changed men and women to demonstrate His power and the glory of His kingdom. If you want to know what we're supposed to be doing, that's our example. But there's also a couple examples, examples of what we ought not to be doing, what we shouldn't be doing. And some of the greatest tragedies in the whole Bible are stories of people who wouldn't change. We love King David who wrote the Psalms, but he was the second king. The first king was King Saul, and God called Saul, and God anointed Saul, and Saul was God's man. But he was insecure, and God knew that in the moment, but he wouldn't grow up and he wouldn't change. He wouldn't, he wouldn't give up and do things God's way. He wanted to do it his way all the time. And his life ended up tragic, and he did not complete the mission that God called him to. God's mission still was completed. Can I get an amen? Like God's, God's mission was complete. Saul just didn't get to play his part in it. Samson, you know the story of Samson. Samson was anointed by God, called by God to be a leader of Israel in his generation. But he wouldn't, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't set himself free from lust. He wouldn't set himself free from alcohol and from some of his fits of rage. And because he continued to do that, even though God used him in the final act of his life was to bring down some of Israel's enemies, he went out in a blaze of glory, but he went out way too soon because he wouldn't change. God wants us to change. Everybody say change. And what religion tells us is religion tells us, hey, if you can just say it all right, if you can just quote all the books, you can just, you know, know all the books of the Bible, and you can quote John 3.16, and maybe you've got a life verse, um, you know, and even, you know, you could even go to small group and go through next steps. You, like, you could do all those things, and you can, you can say all the right things, but religion is saying all the right things, but not doing anything about it. It's, it's talking the talk but not walking the walk. And if there was anything that bugged Jesus in his earthly ministry was the religious people who talked the talk but didn't walk the walk. His greatest criticisms came against the religious leaders of their time. And these were men and women who not only were they resisting the change, but because of their hard hearts, they were in a position and held others in a position where they couldn't change either. And Jesus was a friend to the lowly. Jesus was a friend and still is a friend to the sinner, to the prostitute, to the drunkard, to the cheater, to the liar. He's a friend of all those. If there's anything that Jesus shuns and turns his back on, it's the religious and the prideful. Jesus says in Mark 7, he says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. So he was quoting old scripture that they knew. He said he was right when he prophesied about you, and he calls them hypocrites, talking strong here. He says, as it is written... These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. This was not the first time that God had seen this. It says, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God, and you are holding on to human traditions. And I even think, and, and our church is very similar to this. We sing the same songs. This is an incredible team. And sometimes I think we can trick ourselves into coming into a church like this. And so we've got drums, and we don't have to wear a suit, and we don't sing out of a hymnal. So we're not tradition people, right? We're free. But it's so quick that these things that we do quickly become a tradition. And we can just go through the motions, and we can just even, like we can just do this, and I did, I did my thing, I did the thing. And that, but that thing can become as quick a tradition as what we considered traditional. We don't want that to let, us, let that happen to us. 
But really what Jesus is speaking to here is these Old Testament, uh, these people who were living by the law and these religious leaders of the time, they were trying to make sure everybody did everything just right. So they had all these rules. Like you go back and read in Leviticus. They had all these rules that God had given them because he gave them some, but then they made up some stuff to go along with it as they kind of progressed and kind of grew. They were just making things up. Thousands of them, literally thousands of rules that they were supposed to follow. So this is one day Jesus and his disciples come in, and they've been out healing the sick, raising the dead, preaching the gospel, bringing the kingdom to everybody everywhere. And they come in, and they are so hungry, and they are so tired. They sit down, and they start eating. And the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are like, hey, guys, ho, 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 ho. You, you forgot to wash your hands. Like, what, what kind of a Jesus are you? Like, what, what kind of a religious leader are you? you? You're supposed to wash your hands before you. You can't be unclean. And come eat. To which me personally, I'm kind of like, Jesus, he's kind of right. I mean, it's kind of nasty. Right? Wash your hands. But Jesus sees through that. Jesus doesn't think they're being polite. They're not trying to be helpful. And he says to them in Matthew 23, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish. That which was another rule that they had to do if they didn't wash it. They, they couldn't eat from it. How many of you ever eaten from a dirty dish? Anybody? Come on, tell the truth. Tell the truth, Shannon. Yeah, we all had somebody who was like. <laughs> but he said, you're worried about the outside and the cup and the dish. He said, but inside, you're full of greed and you're full of self-indulgence. He calls them blind. And they weren't literally blind like they could see because they saw what was happening there. He's talking about your heart. Did you know that you don't see things as they are? You see things as you are. Ephesians 1, the other prayer in Ephesians, Paul prays, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. He's not talking about these eyes. He's talking about these eyes. And that's how you see life. You see life through the eyes of your heart, through your past, through your issues, through your problems. That's how you see them. That's how they're seeing them. He says, you're blind. You're blinded in your heart. You, 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 your heart is hardened. He says, first clean the inside of the cup and then clean the outside of the cup. Is that what he said? No. He says, first clean the inside of the cup and then the outside's going to be clean. Like if you'll just worry about what's going on on the inside, that'll take care of what's going on on the outside. And if we'll allow God by his Holy Spirit to come in on the inside and clean us up, it takes care of what's going on on the outside. That's what we read in Ephesians 3. That by his power, that you would be empowered in your inner being. Because it's what's on the inside that cleanses what's on the outside. True change cleans the inside, which purifies what's on the outside. So if my motives are pure, my heart's right with God, then I make the decisions. I, I do the things that line up with his word. And some of that happens a lot easier when we're in alignment with him. So then i got to stop, because I know like that's a lot of talk. And religion would say, there, go do it. I told you how wrong you are. I told you how far short you are coming up in these things. I've made you feel real bad about yourself because you know you're not living it. And that's where religion stops. But that's not where God stops. Because I want to take a few minutes. Let's talk about how do we do this. How do we live this kingdom life? 
How do we live a life that, that recognizes the power and the presence of God right here on our earth and right here in Athens, Texas, but with the mindset and the expectancy that there's more to come and not get trapped focusing on either one but accomplishing what God intended from the very beginning? Romans 15 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. I love that. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. For those of you who are born again, you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. When you took that step and invited Him to come in, there was a hope. The Holy Spirit came to live on the inside of you and there's a hope. And there's power to live this life and to experience everything God has for you. How do we do it? How do we walk out this kingdom life? Romans 14, verses 17 through 18. We think this is Paul again. We don't, we don't know. It's divided. If you, if you do much uh, church study and, and Bible study, you'll realize that nobody really knows everything. I mean, the longer I follow the Lord and the longer I'm in ministry, I, the longer the more I realize that nobody, everybody say nobody. And when I mean nobody, I'm, when I say nobody, I mean nobody has the market cornered on doctrine or theology. Nobody. Because if they did, we wouldn't be divided. We would be united. And we're not. God's one. He's not divided. And I just want to encourage you when you, I know it's intimidating. How many of you get intimidated sometimes when you're trying to talk about the Bible or you're trying to talk about the Lord I struggle with that. A two-and-a-half-year-old church plant going to Tyler, Texas has got more churches than, than Palm Springs has umbrellas on the beach. I mean, there's just, you know, and there's a lot of people who know a lot of stuff. And it's very quick, even for somebody like me, to get in the conversation and go, oh, wow, <laughs> kind of out of my league here. But you know what you got? Hopefully you got a story, and you got an experience, and you got a scripture, you got something that God's done in your life. And a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. Don't let other people put you in a position or let yourself feel like that I don't know it all because neither do they. Nobody, there's not a 100% agreement on whether or not Paul wrote Romans. So if we don't know that, what else don't we know? I mean, let's just cut ourselves some slack here. Can, can we just take the pressure off for a second? I don't have to know everything. But what does it say? It says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Right? It's not a talk. We've already seen that. It's not a matter of eating and drinking. But here's what it is. You ready? It's righteousness. It's peace. And it's joy in the Holy Spirit. I got a little bit of a charismatic background, so I don't feel like I've said it right if I ain't said Holy Ghost. Joy and peace in the Holy Ghost. You got to say it like that. Check this out, because anyone who serves Christ in, these, in this way, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, you're pleasing to God, and you receive human approval. So, I mean, you're here, and you're plugged into Thrive Church. How does Thrive Church take over for Athens, Texas, for the glory of God and for His kingdom? Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. When you're walking these three out, this, how do we live in this tension of the kingdom that is and the kingdom that is to come? Righteousness, peace, 
and joy in the Holy Spirit. It pleases God and it receives human approval. And these are the three. It's simple. And I want to close with this. How do we live this life? Number one, we pursue righteousness. I know that sounds like a fancy Bible word, and it kind of is. Righteousness. Righteousness is number one. It is right standing with God. That Jesus came to put us in right standing and right relationship with our Heavenly Father because the world did not have that prior. So we're in right standing with God. My, my favorite verse in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So because of what Jesus did, now my righteousness, we all know this, my righteousness is as filthy rags. That's right. Throw it to the side. My righteousness, is, righteousness now is in Christ. That I've made Jesus the Lord of my life and my righteousness and my ability to stand today before a righteous God is because of the righteousness that Jesus gave me by his death, his burial, and his resurrection from nothing else. But then righteousness also means that it's his way of doing and being right. So now that I am righteous and now that I am in right standing with God, my pursuit is righteousness that now I'm changed and I'm pursuing his way. I'm pursuing his way of doing and being right. And we find that all in the Bible. And that's discipleship. I'm pursuing that. So number one, we've got to pursue righteousness. First Timothy says, but you, man of God, flee from all this. Pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. We've got to pursue it. So we've got, we got it now. And our righteousness now is because of what Jesus did. But when we get to heaven, we're going to have a full righteousness. And not only are we going to throw off our old righteousness, but we're going to throw off our old body, and we're going to be full righteousness. So there's, right now we got it in part. Then we're going to experience it in full. There's a difference. We haven't seen it all yet. We haven't done it all yet. And we anxiously await that day. He says, peace. Right now we have peace. The peace that we have is the peace that Jesus left us. Jesus says in John 14, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give it as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He says, in this world you will have trouble. But fear not, I have overcome the world and you can have the peace that I give you. So right now there's a peace that we can experience beyond our situations, beyond our circumstances, beyond COVID, beyond racial reconciliation, beyond any troubles and trials that we're experiencing in this life. Because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we can have Peace. We read it in Ephesians 3. Peace that passes all understanding. We can have it. But then there's going to be a day when we're standing before the Lord in heaven and it's just going to be peace. It's just going to be peace. That we're going to walk in and it's going to be, and we're not going to give another thought about any of that other stuff. But we can have it now. We can have peace now. You know why? Because Jesus said we can. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody. Joy in the Holy Spirit. And really, none of this would be possible. Like, none of what we're talking about right now would be possible if it weren't for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power part that makes any of this work in our life right now. And the longer I follow Jesus and pursue his calling on my life, the more I'm convinced that you can't do anything significant in the kingdom of God 
apart from cooperating with the power of the Holy Spirit. Here we have his presence in a, in a part on the inside, anointed from the outside. There we're going to experience the fullness. It's his presence. But here we have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is, Jesus said, he's the promise. He's the promise of something better yet to come. He's the promise that you can experience the kingdom on earth. But he's the promise to hold on because something greater is coming. Uh, last year, I um, took my family. It's not that big a deal because there's only three of us. But I took my family to Disney World for the first time. I've never been to Disney before. So last summer, we went, guy in the church, he's kind of a Disney travel agent guy. And so he set that up for us. And it's exciting. Daughter's never been. We've never been. And so when you, when you do it and you get it all paid for, you get to pick out these, what they call a magic band. I don't know if you've been before, but you get to order these magic band. And that thing, it's, it's just a little color. It looks like a watch. And, and when you wear it to the park, you just wave your magic band, and it allows you to do everything. It gives you access to everything. And it's exciting. And those came in the mail. I hadn't told my daughter. I hadn't told my wife. And uh, those, those magic bands came. And when, they got them, when I got them, I hit them and kind of made this presentation. And finally went, ta-da! We're going to Disney, and they were so excited, but we were months away. Like, we, we were still, this is going to be a little bit. And we just left those out on the counter as a reminder, the promise that we had that we were going to go to Disney. And we went. Al, if you've been before, I mean, it's, it's magical. I mean, we were singing zippity doo dah from the time we landed in Orlando Till we, till we left Orlando. I mean, it was, and honestly, by the time we were, I was zippity doo died out by the time we, we left. If you've been, you understand. But man, we walked up in the parking lot and the song's playing and you can see it. And you walk through the city and, and there's the magic kingdom. And there it was, the, the fulfillment of the promise. <laughs> that those magic bands had given us months before. And can I tell you, it did not disappoint. And we got ready, and we packed our bags, and how do you know if somebody's been to Disney? Just hang around long enough, they'll tell you about it. You don't, you don't have to ask. And there's a kingdom waiting for you. And there's a kingdom that's waiting for me. And Jesus gave us his Holy Spirit as a promise that we can experience everything he's called us to do and the fulfillment of it while we're on the earth. But even as good as you ever thought that this could be, there's something greater. So now in this life, we get to pack the bags and we get to tell everybody and say, yeah, I'm going to Disney. Yeah, we're leaving in three weeks, right? We're telling people, hey, I'm going to heaven. I want you to go with me. Come on, come on. Yeah, I know, I'm trying to do the right thing. I know, I love God. He loves me. I'm in right standing with him and I want to please him. But there's something on the inside of me that's different than everybody else. I got some peace. You're looking at me going, how did you walk through this COVID season with as good an attitude as you have? I got peace. Where's that peace? It comes from the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit? It's the promise that I don't have to worry about it now because there's something better coming. And I want you to be a part of this with me. I've been changed and God has changed me and now he wants to use me to help bring change to your life. That's how we live in the tension. We righteously pursue him. 
we walk in peace and we let the joy of the Holy Spirit be the mark of our lives. Let me ask you this morning, what are you pursuing? What's the pursuit of your life right now? What's number one to you? Matthew 6, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's where, that's where we get into the doing and being, right? If you ever got an amplified Bible, you can look that up, and that's what's in the quotation marks outside of righteousness, his way of doing and being right. Hey, if you'll seek that first, if you'll make that the first priority, if you'll make that your number one pursuit, then everything else is going to be taken care of. Does that mean you're going to walk out today and the skies are going to be blue and there's not going to be any line at, at Cotton Patch for lunch? No. No. But it does mean there's going to be something happening on the inside that purifies everything that's happening out here so that you can be the change agent in the world that God's called you to be. Don't you bow your head and close your eyes for a second. There's all kinds of people in the room today and I, there's probably many of you who have been following the Lord for a long time. I just want to thank you for your faithfulness to the local church on behalf of your pastor and Thrive community. Thank you for being a part of what God's doing here. But what are you, what are you pursuing? Be a lifelong Christian, yet maybe your pursuits are out, are out of order. And you can just pray a simple prayer like this today. You pray something like, Lord, I've been pursuing other things and I've not been putting you first. I recognize that you have made me righteous, that I have this incredible relationship that you have given me that I'm in right standing with you, my heavenly Father. Forgive me for not living that righteousness out. Forgive me for not, pursue, forgive me for not pursuing your ways. Can I tell you, you can get it right just like that? Just like that. And that's your prayer of consecration today, your, your decision today that I'm just going to pursue him because I want to please you and I want to bring honor to you and your name and have favor with everybody in the world. I want them to see you through me. Some of you, maybe you're here today and you don't have any of that because you've never, you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord. We're talking about the kingdom of God and every kingdom has a king. And the kingdom of heaven has a king too. That's King Jesus. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And nobody, and you may even think that you have a relationship with the Father, but you can't have a relationship with your Heavenly Father if you have not first made Jesus the Lord of your life. And what I mean by that is I mean surrender. That you have never surrendered your heart, your life, your direction, your presence, your control. You've never surrendered that to Him. And God brought you here today so that I could tell you today is the day to surrender. And that's you and you want to surrender your life, I'm going to count to three, clap my hands. I'm not going to do anything to bring attention to you. We're all going to pray a prayer together out loud. I just want to know who I'm praying with. That's you. One, two, three. Anybody? I need to surrender today. Awesome. Like I said, let's all pray this prayer together out loud. Pray, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. And today, I confess Jesus as the Lord of my life. Jesus, come in and lead me. Guide me. I surrender. Thank you for dying for me. It's in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Amen, amen. That's so awesome. That's what I ask you to do. Our prayer team's going to come down front here in just a minute, and we're going to go ahead and invite them up. And if maybe you got something that you need to get right, maybe you made a decision, but you didn't raise your hand, or maybe you just need to agree. Maybe you made that commitment, and Jesus said that if two of you agree as touching anything, it'll be done for you, and you just need to come up today and agree with somebody in prayer over a situation in your life. Hey, there's no shame, and they're going to stand up here for a little bit this morning, and I invite you to just come take advantage of that been an honor to be with you guys. Thank you for being a part of this church and for what you're doing in your city. Love you so much. We're going to worship one more time.